0: Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I reflect a lot these days on what does it mean to be a disciple. How do we follow Jesus in the path that he pioneered when he came in the flesh back in the first century? And I really am interested in the question of what does it mean to be a witness You know, it appears that witness, disciple, Christian, these are all terms that are like synonyms. But let's look at some key texts that talk about um, us being witnesses. Let's begin by looking at Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 48. Jesus tells his disciples in really his last words in the Gospel of Luke. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So Jesus is telling them right here, you are witnesses. And um, in order to be witnesses, they have to first wait for the promise of the Father, which Jesus is going to send. So they're to stay there in the city until they're clothed with power from on high. And so here, Jesus is foretelling the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at that in Acts chapter 1 and 2 uh, shortly. But I'd like to focus on this question of verse 48. Um, What are these things that they are witnesses of? Now, if you look at um, sort of the immediate context of Luke 24, it appears that these things are referring to the appearance of the resurrected Jesus to the 11 disciples, you know, after his um, resurrection from his crucifixion. If we look at 36, verse 36, it says, while they were telling these things, once again, we have these things mentioned. And in this case, these things refers to the two disciples that were coming back, moving from Jerusalem to Emmaus when the resurrected Jesus approached or came alongside them. And They had this amazing conversation where Jesus opened the scriptures to them, and then they recognized him when he broke the bread. And so they were recounting this to the 11. And so I continue in verse 36. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. So here it seems really important to note that one of the first reactions of the disciples to the resurrected Jesus was not faith or uh, even joy, but rather um, they were startled and frightened. And uh, the first thought was that they were seeing a spirit, not that they were actually seeing Jesus in the flesh, you know, the resurrected Jesus. And so now we have Jesus responding. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? You know that's a good question. I've been asking of myself, why am I troubled, and why do doubts arise in my heart? If I think back to just the setting of um, you know of the disciples here after Jesus's you know brutal crucifixion, um, I could see that they'd be troubled because maybe they'd um, in a way just they were grieving the loss of their savior, and um, they were also kind of recognizing that perhaps this whole movement that they were part of was, was over. And so they were maybe troubled because there he was alive and, and that's startling. Like what, what's that going to mean? If the one who was just executed and done away with is now right, right in their midst. And, uh, suddenly there's a whole new demand on them possibly. Right. Um, and so they're doubting because could it be possible um, I think about my own life here now in the Skagit Valley, you know, we've had just a lot of death recently. We had a person who's uh, loosely associated with our ministry, a father of eight, took his life, um, a week or two ago. And, uh, wow, what a, what a sad, you know, tragic thing. And, uh, he was someone that many of us knew, many of our people knew, and now we, we may be doing the memorial service for him. Prior to that, we had um, another guy who was shot by the police. And this was a man that we had great conversations with, a, tr- a true believer. Uh, when he was in the jail, we met with him regularly. And afterwards, one of our team met with him, a guy named David, and Native American guy who you know, was shot in a very unjust action. He was just uh, driving past police who were trying to stop his car, and they shot through his car and killed him. And, uh, you know, he wasn't a violent offender. And so, you know, I've just been thinking about him and, you know, what will become of him. He was a guy in his 50s. I think of um, Isaiah. We did a funeral service for him. He uh, was a 29-year-old man who used to live in our building. It was part of our recovery house when it was in our Tierra Nueva building. And he was a bodybuilder, a young guy who you know, we knew really well, and he died of an overdose, and we did a funeral service for him. that was just packed out our building. And then I think back to my mom, who back in April of last year, died at age 91. And uh, she was really a dear friend and just beloved mother. And so I'm troubled, and doubts arise in my heart. You know, what, what's become of these people? Who were so alive and who I loved and, and so many other people loved, and what will become of me when I die. And doubts arise in our hearts regarding eternal life and the reality of the resurrection and what sort of what sort of resurrection it will be. Will it be a resurrection of visible bodies of some sort that will be recognizable? You know, will I recognize my mother in the afterlife? um, will there be an afterlife? You know, there's, there's just so much death around the world right now with the situation in the Ukraine and, uh, in Afghanistan and Yemen and so many other places and just overdose deaths, which are rising and, and of course COVID. And so, you know, there's a lot to be troubled about. And so Jesus asks, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Well, maybe they do because we struggle to believe in the reality of, of Jesus's victory, of God's victory over the power of death, over that that life-ending enemy that just separates us from this beautiful planet. Or maybe not, you know, because we go into the ground. But that separates us from those that we love and, and those that we love from us. So Jesus, his response Uh, before he gets an answer of any sort, is, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. So Jesus uh, invites them to look at him and to see whether it's actually him. Recognize me. Is it me? Check me out. Touch me, he says, and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So here's Jesus drawing attention to his body, okay, a resurrected body, his physical body, which in its resurrection, resurrected state has flesh and bones. Wow, that's really interesting. So we're not talking about just his soul um, rising from the dead or, or just some invisible spirit, but here we're talking about a bodily resurrection and not a resuscitation, okay, because his body is different. And uh in other gospels we see that he he walks through walls you know um, he ascends into heaven and um, Paul writes extensively about about the resurrected body as um, as as different as you know as a heavenly body but it's a body all the same and for us to for the disciples to be assured that actually death, of our physical bodies has been defeated because the physical body is there before them. That is something Jesus wants them and us to be able to fully uh, face and embrace by faith. Why? Because Jesus wants us to be fearless in the face of death. Jesus wants us to be able to practice his Ministry, his transformational ministry of announcing the kingdom of God and embodying it ourselves as his followers, as his witnesses, without fear of retaliation, without fear of crucifixion, of assassination, of prison, of whatever it might be. Of course, we're going to fear. Jesus himself sweated blood, but we mustn't be demobilized. You know, by all of these threats to our existence, which. Um, which come when we are willing to just say yes to whatever Jesus is calling us to do or wherever God is calling us to go. So Jesus um, asked that question, does a spirit um, does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have? And then when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So now he's not just saying, see my hands and my feet, but he's showing them. You know, he's... uh, So we have this insistence in this almost like a type of repetition. So he shows them his hands and his feet, you know, the, the nail marks, I assume, as we see in John's gospel. And while they still could not believe it, and, uh, wow, that's, that's interesting. They still couldn't believe it, even when he's insisting and showing them and he's, and he's right there in their midst. Um, but I love this. It says, um, while they still could not believe it because of their joy, and amazement. So there's been a, sh- a shift from being startled and frightened to joy and, ama- and amazement, but the unbelief is still there. And um, and why? You know, why does that unbelief persist? Perhaps it's just, um, it just seems too good to be true. Um, maybe they feel like to actually fully embrace this would be to to just be foolish, to be unrealistic, You know, after all, to be realistic is just to face your non-existence, some might think. But here Jesus um, goes a step further. He says to them, have you anything here to eat? Okay, wow, so this might be the proof, you know, and why? Why would he ask that question? Perhaps because when we think about um, our lives, one of the things we enjoy so much is, is eating. Um, I just love waking up and having a a cup of coffee, you know, making a latte. I go through a whole ritual of making a delicious latte every morning. And so if Jesus said, you know, um, do you have a latte? You know, I'd like a drink of, uh, I'd like to have a latte. And, uh, and if I watched him drink it right down, I think that'd be really compelling. So they gave him a piece of boiled fish, not as good as a latte. And he took it and he ate it before them. So, um, wow, that's interesting. So Jesus is really trying to get this message through to them, and uh, and these are the things. Okay, after these things, he, um, he says uh, he says to them, and behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, um, and you're staying in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Okay, well, there's still some other things that we need to look at. But, um, so let's go back now to verse 44. So now he says, now he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you. And that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So here Jesus um, is now moving from, you know, from really showing them and inviting them to see his, um, his physical body there before them resurrected, to the scriptures, which, um, you know, which he really wants them to focus in on now in a particular way. And I think this is illustrative of what should be our priorities as well. So he says, um, and that all the things which are written about me in the law and the Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And, uh, and so there he's referring back to, you know, the, the, the Bible of their day the Hebrew Bible, which would have contained the law, you know, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what we sometimes call the Pentateuch, and then the prophets, which is the second major uh, section of scriptures, and then the Psalms, which is part of the, um, you know, the Ketim, the, the writings, and uh, and so Jesus, like on the road to Emmaus, when he opened the, the Moses, the law of Moses and the prophets, and showed these two travelers, you know how um, you know how these scriptures witness to to the how the Christ would suffer. Um, now Jesus is is going, um, re- repeating that to the to the eleven. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And um, here this this I think is so is so beautiful because you know it's really that combination of recogn- recognizing and acknowledging and choosing to believe that Jesus has conquered the power of death through his bodily resurrection, and then rooting that in an understanding of the scriptures that comes through the revelation that Jesus himself, as the resurrected uh, rabbi, offers them and offers us. And then he goes on in verse 46, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And so all of this was, was written, and Jesus is inviting them to check it out, check it out where it's written, where this was prophesied, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So here, um, you know, Jesus wants his disciples to really understand that he himself, as Israel's Messiah, as the, the Christ, you know, the Savior of the world, uh, came as a suffering Messiah, you know, not as a conquering, victorious through violence, you know, according to the way of the world, you know, but but rather a Christ, you know, a Savior who comes through emptying himself and taking on the form of a servant, a slave, and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, it's that way of of following Jesus, in humbly emptying ourselves, which is really being challenged day in and day out, you know, by just world events. You know, just think about the situation in Ukraine. Conventional wisdom says, um, at least from the Western perspective, the NATO perspective says that here we have the Ukrainians resisting, resisting Putin. And so they're calling for, you know, for all the help possible in terms of military hardware and humanitarian aid and economic embargoes against Russia. And, um, and the Western nations are giving, you know, um, giving the Ukrainians everything, a lot of what they're asking for. And, and that's leading to many, many, many people, um, being killed, you know, Ukrainians dying in, in combat Russians being killed also. And, um, and the death count is mounting and, Jesus here is describing a way of being Savior that is not about arming anybody um, with anything other than, you know, the weapons of the Spirit, you know, um, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the breastplate of righteousness, and the helmet of salvation, and um, and just the proclamation, the Word of God, um, and Jesus, his way of combating evil is actually to you know, to actually come under its, um, sanction, its ultimate sanction to let himself be killed to end death through death and resurrection. And then repentance, which is literally another way of thinking an aftermind, you know, repentance. And then the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in the name of Jesus to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And that's, that's the program right there that is set um, right before the disciples and before us as well. And immediately following, we have the text that we started with: "You are witnesses of these things." Okay, and and these eleven disciples were literal witnesses. They were there as eyewitnesses. They, you know, they saw Jesus resurrected, and they were able to look at his hands and look at his feet and, and witness him. Eating the, the boiled fish, and um, hearing what were the high pri- highest priorities for you know for him and for them, and we need those witnesses, and we have the recorded uh, recorded you know writings of the gospel accounts, the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures, which we need in order to really um, be grounded in the Word of God you know, for our practice of following Jesus. But that's not enough. Jesus here says um, that he's sending forth the promise of the Father upon, you know, his disciples and and upon us. But they're to wait in the city until they're clothed with power from on high. And and then right after that, um, it says he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, return to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. So now we're set up for the book of Acts and let's just look briefly at a few texts where we have the mention of the witness again in Acts chapter, two, chapter 1 verse 8 Okay, Jesus says um, but you will receive power from when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you should be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So here, um, once again, it's the it's the eleven that are gathered, and um, and Jesus. There's another repetition of, of his ascension here in in the beginning of the book of Acts, but Jesus describes them as, you know, as receiving power, which they needed when the Holy Spirit. You know, came okay, I and we also need that power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be empowered to be witnesses. And but is this talking just about um the eyewitnesses? You know, the the disciples that actually got to see Jesus in his resurrected body prior to his ascension? Or does that notion of witness also include us? Well, I was encouraged to find numerous accounts of elsewhere in the Gospels. Especially, um, actually, outside of the Gospels, in Acts, in Acts twenty-two, verse fifteen, Paul himself refers to himself as a witness, even though he himself was not a witness of the resurrected Jesus in the same in the same form, you know, the physical form that that the disciples, you know, um, this, the eleven encountered him, you know, and um, but he did meet Jesus on the road to Damascus, but in the form of a bright light and a voice, right? And so, um, he became a witness, and in verse 15, it says um, the Lord told Paul, for you will be a witness for him, or this is what Ananias said, you will be a witness for him to all people of what you've seen and heard. Okay, so, being a witness of what we ourselves see and hear, see and hear is what it means for us to be a witness today. We we each need our own experiences of God which we need to have repeated over and over different new experiences of of the spirit and of God answering prayers and of and of witnessing the power of the Holy Spirit to confirm the the words and the messages, you know, the our attempts to to follow Jesus today. And so Paul is described as being a witness. And then we also have um, Stephen, who is described in the next, in verse 20. And it says, um, And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, Paul says, I also was standing by, approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And, uh, And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So Paul. Describes Stephen also as a witness, even though there's no mention of Stephen being an actual witness to the resurrected Jesus. So, I think it's important to just recognize that that word "witness" is broader than just eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus, and yet it does include um, those eyewitnesses who we need to, you know, to um, to listen to and to believe. As um, although you know, just believing in the scriptures alone is not enough, we also need the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see um, arriving on the scene in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And, um, and so the Spirit came, and, um, and they were all speaking in other tongues. And, and it's so beautiful because uh, immediately afterwards, it, there's this mention in verse 5 that there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And, um, and when they hear the sound, they all uh, came together. And they were bewildered as each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed because these were just uh, Galileans. They were just uh, humble, simple, you know, country folk, you know. And, and it says, uh, and how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and all these other people groups. And uh, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And, um, and all of them continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? And um, and then others, of course, are, are mocking and saying that they're full of sweet wine. And, and then we have Peter's sermon, where he describes this Pentecost event as the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, where um, the Spirit is uh, described as coming and um, on all humankind. And uh, sons and daughters prophesying and young men and women seeing visions and old men dreaming dreams. And even on bond slaves, men and women, God says, I will pour in those days forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. And this is what launches the Jesus movement full on. And, um, and so I just want to close by, you know, by just, I guess, summarizing that here at the end of Luke, um, the disciples are called by Jesus to be witnesses of, um, of, the, of his resurrected physical body presence as victor over death. Oh, death, you know, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And, um, you know, Jesus has conquered the power of death, and we need to be assured and reassured continually of that truth which is at the heart of the gospel that um death has been defeated and at the same time we we need to receive the holy spirit in order to be empowered to be able to proclaim the good news you know the, the repentance and the forgiveness of sins to all the nations and that is our mission so let's pray so jesus thank you for including us in your mission and we ask that you would pour out your holy spirit on us and empower us to be your witnesses. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.